morning, please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We will be in verses 1 through 7. And I know it won't take you but just a second to turn there, so I want to go ahead and mention last week I brought to your attention a, a prayer guide, 40-day prayer guide for students and back to school. And I just wanted to, to recognize that today, August 15th, was a day where we pray for uh, students with troubled home lives. So let's remember them today as well. We know we have a lot of those in our community, a lot of those in our state, and certainly a lot of those in our country. Um, please stand for reading God's word and remain standing for time of prayer following. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the we've already experienced this morning. Father, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for these families that we got to dedicate these children to you this morning, Father. We love you and we thank you. And Lord, I, I ask this morning a special prayer over those who have troubled home lives. Lord, in our community, as they get ready to go back to school, Father, I pray that you draw near to them. For those in our state, Lord, I pray that uh, school year would be a good school year for them, Lord. I pray that you would uh, touch their families, Lord, and just strengthen them. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The interference you were hearing there is I turned on my mic, so I apologize. They had um, the pulpit mic on as well. Earlier this year in Miami, Florida, there was a building that collapsed seemingly out of nowhere. You all probably remember seeing the coverage. An otherwise nice sunny day, and then out of nowhere, a building collapses, bringing significant damage and major loss of life. What happened almost never occurs in the United States. We see that occasionally in third world countries, but we don't see that much in America. And after the initial search for bodies and survivors was called off, but before the remainder of the building was destroyed, structural engineers were called in to evaluate the damage and try to get an understanding of what had happened and determine what the actual cause was. But looking at grainy security footage, and many of you probably saw that same grainy security footage, it was determined that the collapse began somewhere near the bottom of the building. A quote from an article that was posted just a little over a month ago says this, the investigation into what may be the deadliest accidental building collapse in American history has just begun. But experts who have examined video footage of the disaster outside Miami 
are focusing on a spot in the lowest part of the condominium complex, possibly in or below the underground parking garage where an initial failure could have set off a structural avalanche. There's speculation of whether or not a failure led to a series of other failures or if there was a design flaw in the building from its initial conception back 40 years ago. The bottom line is this. The failure appears to have started with the foundation. This is exactly why the book of Genesis is so important. It lays the groundwork for what we believe. It perfectly sets the stage for Christ to come and him being introduced into humanity. If the Bible were a fairy tale, we wouldn't have a chapter 3. It would have ended at chapter 2, and it would essentially have said, and Adam and Eve lived happily ever after. But we know that's not the case. It's important, I would encourage you, to have a good understanding of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. It's our foundation. Now, you don't have to be an Old Testament scholar. You don't have to be an expert in the law. But it is important to have an understanding of the Old Testament. My old youth pastor used to tell us all the time, he would say, the Old Testament is Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, are our foundation. A rudimentary understanding of the Old Testament will help our faith to grow and our faith to flourish. So how did we get here? That's the title of our sermon this morning. How did we get here? There's a lot of turmoil in life. There's much uncertainty. There's no real uh, stability in the political landscape. Uh, there's nothing out there in, in this life that we can cling to so, for support outside of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of devastation. There's a lot of pain, a lot of illness, a lot of loss. People are looking for answers, and many are finding it in the wrong thing. So I ask again, how did we get here? The first point we're going to look at this morning is temptation and testing. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Let's be clear right from the beginning. The text here does not say or clearly identify the serpent as being, as being Satan. However, we do know throughout Scripture that this is Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about how Satan was in the garden. So we know Satan was there. Not only that, but Satan, at one time, was an angel of great prominence. Many scholars believe that Satan, or Lucifer, was actually a worship leader in heaven, that he led worship. So he was an angel of great prominence, but he had a desire to be equal to or greater than God, which is what caused his fall. So we know angels are not capable of repentance, and that is a Another topic for another day. But they have seen God in his full glory. So that's why Satan was in the garden. He was present. And the first verse tells us here that Satan was more cunning and more crafty than any other beast. We cannot outsmart Satan. Did you know that? We cannot outsmart Satan. However, with God, we can overcome him. And that's where we mess up. We think so often that we can handle things on our own. We've got it. We've got it under control. But I'm here to tell you, apart from God, we do not. Amen. To further expound on this, the Bible says that the serpent was more cunning, more crafty than any other beast. Not more cunning than mankind. However, when you factor in Satan, 
that made the serpent more crafty than any creature, creature mankind included. It's also important to note that after the curse was when all of this transpires and the serpent is made to crawl on his belly. The serpent didn't appear to Eve in the current form that, that we know and understand today. Charles Spurgeon, a great theologian, actually believes and has commented on the fact that it is, it is a believed perception with some people that uh, the serpent initially even had wings and could have flown. So we don't know, but uh, we know that he didn't approach Eve in the same manner um, as we see the serpent today. So he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It ca doesn't catch Eve by surprise that Satan talks to her. And I've always thought that was kind of interesting. And perhaps it's because uh, Adam and Eve were, were used to walking and talking with God, or they had talked to other angelic beings. But the fact is, it doesn't catch Eve off guard that she's approached by the serpent. But here's the thing. That he spoke to her, or how he spoke to her, is not as important as what he said to her. Now, why did he speak to the woman? Why did he not address Adam? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we know from later on in the text that Adam was there. But he didn't address Adam. He addressed Eve. Have you ever thought about that? Why did he address Eve? Well, the fact is, Eve was more vulnerable. And you think, why was Eve more vulnerable? Well, it's not because Eve was a woman. Eve was more vulnerable because it was up to, well, let me back up. Because God didn't command Eve not to eat of the tree. He commanded Adam. Let's take a look. Look back at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, really quick. It says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So up to this point, Eve hadn't even been created. It was Adam's responsibility to relay God's command to Eve, and he failed in his responsibility. Now, women, let me ask you a question. Do all the men in your life always communicate things well to you? I have been accused of not communicating things well myself. I mean, we either we have a bad habit of sometimes either not communicating it fully or just not communicating at all, and we expect the women in our lives, just to understand and just to read our minds. I've actually had my wife, who does a great job of that, tell me, I can't read your mind. And I think that this is what took place with Adam and Eve. I could actually see the conversation. Picture this for a second. You can see, almost see the conversation. Eve is created to help Adam, and Adam is just awestruck by her beauty. He's just in love with what he sees. And Eve says, you know, Adam, this is a beautiful place. We, we've got this garden to enjoy. Is, I mean, is there anything I should know? No, no, everything's good. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And he's just, he's just checking her out. He's just awestruck by her. So there, there's no rules? We, no, no rules. You're sure? Everything's good? Yeah, well, well there's a tree in the garden. Just, just don't mess with it. That's it? Just don't mess with it? Yes, don't, don't eat it. Don't touch it. You'll be good. Where's it at? It's over there in the midst of the garden. And she's just supposed to know. And I could see this transpiring based on some of my conversations before. <laughs> Satan perceived that this information was not adequately passed on to Eve. And therefore, she was the more vulnerable one to confront. 
Also, I want you to think about this. Had Adam sinned first, then perhaps Eve would have had an excuse. Think about this for a second. Eve says, well, God, the, the, the man that was here, the head of the household, the one who was supposed to protect me, he gave me the fruit. He told me to eat of it. So perhaps she would have had an excuse. We'll look at that in just a moment. Satan then says, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Satan's first attack is not leveled against Adam and Eve. Satan's first attack is leveled against the very word of God. He does the same thing today. Not much has changed today. This day and age, he attacks the very word of God. Did God really say? Did God really mean that? Listen, it's just a little white lie. It's no real big deal as long as it's going to protect someone else, as long as it's going to make them feel better about themselves. It's no big deal. Oh, you know what? You can actually steal. God's word doesn't mean you can't steal. As long as you're taking from someone who has a whole lot or you're trying to help someone else. Or you know what? That whole thing about, God, about your body being a temple, that's not really true. You can get drunk and you can get high. It may help you sleep. It may help you relax. It's no big deal. Just do whatever makes you feel good. And that's what we do. We try to reason in our minds all these different things, and Satan attacks the very word of God to get us to do so. We then often respond like Eve. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Did you catch what Eve did there? She added that not only could it not be eaten, but that she also couldn't even touch it. Now, whether or not Adam properly conveyed this at this point is beside the point now. She added to God's word. Nothing good ever comes from adding to God's word. You know, Adding to God's word just, does just as much to distort it as subtracting from it does. We can learn so much from this. We have to be careful not to add to God's word. Regardless of who's standing up here, if I tell you something or Ben tells you something, don't take our word as fact. Go look it in the Bible. Make sure that what we're saying is accurate and it's, it's true. Go and check for yourself. She responded with an answer that was only partially correct, which brings us to our second point of truth and trust. The truth and trust of God's word. Satan doesn't necessarily have to get us to neglect God's word. He can undermine it also and begin to get us to begin to doubt it. The moment he got Eve to doubt the word of God, he had partially won the battle. He had partially won the battle the moment he got Eve to uh, doubt the word of God. Satan took God's positive command in Genesis chapter 2 and he rephrased it in a negative light because God said you may freely eat of any tree in the garden except this one. You must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan framed that in a negative way. Well, God won't actually let you eat of any tree in the garden. God's keeping something from you. God is withholding something from you. So God's not actually a good God because he's keeping it from you. He does the same thing with us. God's keeping something from you. He's not a good God. He's withholding something from you. He does the same thing with us. 
Satan, or excuse me, some scholars actually believe that when Satan and Eve had this conversation, when this conversation took place, that he could have potentially even nudged Eve into this tree to get her to touch it as to essentially say, well, see, you just touched it and God hasn't done anything, so you can eat of it too. Now, whether we have no knowledge of that, that's just some things, some scholars debate that I thought was pretty interesting. The bottom line is this. Adam failed in his responsibility to God and to Eve. By failing to fully explain God's command to Eve, Adam made a place of vulnerability within her where she couldn't trust God's word. She couldn't trust God's word fully because the truth of God's word had not been fully revealed to her by the one God gave her to protect her and provide for her. The last part of verse 3 says, or you will die. Verse 4, no, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. Let me ask you something. Do you all like Chick-fil-A? Does everybody like Chick-fil-A? I like Chick-fil-A too. I I, I actually really enjoy Chick-fil-A. I eat it sometimes several times a week. And I've brought a sandwich here with me today. And, you know, this sandwich... It could actually maybe go for a lot of money today because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. (laughs) But you know what? This this Chick-fil-A sandwich, it's desirable for food. It's nice to look at. And maybe you could obtain some wisdom. I don't really know. But maybe. What if I set this down here in the middle of the auditorium somewhere, set it right there, and I said, listen, I said, this Chick-fil-A sandwich is poison. This thing's poison. You can eat of anything else. You can eat of Wendy's, or you can eat of Applebee's, or El Chapala, or Popeye's, or IHOP. You can eat of Arby's, or Bojangles. You can eat of anything else. But if you eat of this chicken sandwich, you will die. It's poison. What is the only thing that matters about this chicken sandwich? The only thing that matters is if you trust me. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that mattered for Adam and Eve was whether they trusted the word of God as to whether or not the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil would actually bring death and judgment to them. You know what? I I don't know. Um, We don't know what type of fruit it was either, as a matter of fact, uh, on the tree. I know it's often referred to as an apple, but we don't know what type of fruit it actually was. It could have been some chicken sandwich type of fruit. Who knows? (laughs) Satan has challenged God's word. He effectively laid the groundwork because of Adam's failed responsibility and Eve's incomplete understanding of God's word. Now he moves in for the outright contradiction of God's word. You will not surely die. Satan has established a foothold. He works in the same way in our lives. We allow him to establish a foothold and we make that same mistake You know what we make, the first mistake we make is we have a conversation with Satan. That was Eve's first mistake. She had a conversation with Satan. And we do the same thing. We'll try, rather than do what we are commanded to and flee from him and rebuke him using God's word, we'll try to have a conversation with him in our minds, won't we? We'll try to debate him a little bit. And, well, you know, I'll do this this time, but I won't let it happen again. 
Or I can lie about that this time, but I won't do it again. I'll stay away from it next time. And guess what? When we fall into that trap, the sin that therefore comes forth out of that affects everything else we do. It affects our lives. It affects our family's lives. It affects our children. It affects our friends. It affects our coworkers. It affects people that you're just acquaintances with that maybe you're trying to reach for the gospel. It affects the body of local believers. Anytime we try to have a conversation, we try to make in our mind how we can just get away with this sin or just dive into it a little bit, we, we allow that sin in. And Satan is a great deceiver. He wants you to see sin like this. There's something good out there that God's keeping from you. And God's not a good God. He's actually a bad God because he doesn't want you to have it. Sin isn't bad and God isn't good is the lie Satan repeats. Amen. Isn't it? Amen. A theologian has said it like this, and I love this. Satan and our flesh will present a thousand different reasons to show how good it is and would be to disobey God's commands. Satan says in verse 5, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's an element of truth to that. There's always an element of truth to the lies that Satan brings forth. That's why it's so enticing. Our last point this morning is temporary. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Eve took the fruit on her own accord. Yes, she was deceived. There's no doubt about it. We learn of that also in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Satan could not force her to eat it. She had to do that on her own. In her mind, she was doing something good. She desired to be like God, and that's what we should all strive to do, but she didn't do it in God's way. She was temporarily deceived and fell into transgression. In the same way, Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. Jesus was tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. Only he was without sin. He was blameless. Satan appeals to the physical appetite, the emotional desires, and pride. He does the same thing today, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Then she gave some to her husband who, who took of it and ate. The difference is Adam was not deceived. His eyes were fully open to what he was doing. He was commanded not to eat of the fruit, and he was in open rebellion to what God had commanded. Adam bears the full responsibility for the fall of mankind. And you know what? Before we're too hard on Adam, let's not forget we would have done the exact same thing in his shoes. We would have done the exact same thing. Adam was in open, defiant rebellion to what God had commanded him. They had been temporarily clothed in God's light, in his glorious light, I might add. And now after sinning, they realized their nakedness and their shame was exposed to all of creation. It was this immediate loss of God's glorious light that made them feel exposed. When this happened, it didn't feel good to Adam and Eve. But you know what? It was a good thing. Because in the same way they felt shame and guilt when sin enters into our life, we should too feel shame and guilt, which should lead to repentance, to a change of heart, to turning from sin and turning back to God. Indeed, their eyes were open. 
but their eyes were open to their own sin and rebellion. I, weigh, I love the way it's framed right here. It says, it's almost as if a deaf person was promised to be able to hear again, but they could only hear the sounds of screaming. Think about that. After recognizing uh, their nakedness, shame, and guilt, Eve attempted to cover, uh, Adam and Eve attempted to cover themselves. And you know what? Satan did tell a half-truth. He did tell the truth. Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. But you know what? Their eyes were opened to the good in the world, but they didn't have the power to do it. And their, eye, their eyes were opened to the evil in the world, but they didn't have the power to resist it. So they sewed fig leaves together. This was to hide their shame. We do the same thing when, when we sin and we attempt to cover it up. We want to hide it and keep it out of sight from others. Attempting to cover ourselves with fig leaves is probably not the most ideal thing in the world. I, I can't imagine it was very comfortable. It's probably pretty itchy. Of course, Adam and Eve weren't going to get anything past God. Did you know we look just as foolish when we attempt to cover our sin and shame before a holy and righteous God? We can temporarily attempt to cover it, but God knows. We haven't actually kept anything from him. We haven't fooled him. He knows. Eve had a temporarily, temporary lapse of judgment in even talking to Satan. She allowed herself to be deceived rather than fleeing from the devil. Adam temporarily but knowingly and willingly rebelled against God. And upon their eyes being opened and their shame being exposed, they temporarily covered themselves with fig leaves. Our lives in the current state on this earth is temporary, and we will temporarily struggle with sin. One thing that isn't temporary, however, is God's love for us and his, his desire to have a relationship with us. So even through this fall and rebellion, God provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. We just have to choose to accept him. So today I want to tell you, if you've never accepted Christ in your life, today's the day to do it. I want to share this with you. And I didn't ask permission to share this, so I won't use any, any specifics. But there's, there's a man I know in our church who, uh, this week, a coworker of his died. And they had his funeral a few days ago. And he was at work, and he was working. And from what I understand, from what I, what I was told, he started not feeling good. And he went and sat down in the shade, and he said, guys, I, he said, I really don't feel good. And they said, well, can we do anything for you? Can we call an ambulance for you? And he said, no. He said, I'll be fine. So he went home early, left work early. He went home and he got in the shower and he dropped dead in the shower. And I don't know what happened. I'm assuming it was probably heart related. I don't have a clue. But here's the thing. This man was 60 years old. I heard he was not married. He had no children. I heard he was one of the most frugal men in the world that almost never spent any money. And they say he was really looking forward to retirement. He had it all planned out. He was going to retire in three years. He said he had an astronomical amount of money saved up. You know what? Every bit of that is temporary. Every single bit of that is temporary. But we know what? We cling to that stuff like it's the only thing in the world that we have. And I want to share one more thing with you, and it's something that I told the students this morning. And we, just, we had a really good time of conversation this morning. I, I, I really enjoyed it, and I hope they did as well. And one of the things that I shared with them, and you hear a lot of people start conversations like this. They say, you know what the problem is, and then they'll say something that they think is the problem. You want me to tell you what the real problem is in our nation? Of course, it's sin, but our real problem 
is that we don't have enough problems. That's our real problem, is we have everything at our fingertips. We have everything. It's a convenience. If we have to wait more than two minutes for it, it's like, what in the world is going on? I'm the world's worst. And we just don't have enough problems. Other nations are facing severe persecution. They're flocking to Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if we, the church today, saw the persecution that other countries are seeing? This place, we most churches would probably be completely empty. We'd have one moment of real persecution and real serious hardship, and we would disappear. And other countries are flocking to it because it's their only hope. I'm here to tell you that's our only hope. Jesus Christ is our only hope. And I am the world, I'm the most wicked person in here. I'm undeserving of God's love. I'm undeserving of being able to come to him and, and have a relationship with him. And he still died for me. And I'm telling you, he'll do the same for you. So let's pray.